With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome in to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. We are here to present only the finest in minor league coverage throughout all organizational levels of your Colorado Rockies, featuring insights, oversights, and foresights from SB Nation's representation of the Rockies, and we are here to have an absolute blast doing it. My name is Justin Wick. I am an editor for Purple Row. We are on the heels of 2021 All-Star Week hosted in Denver, Colorado, and I had the great opportunity of actually meeting my co-host in person, Kenneth Weber. It was an absolute pleasure, first and foremost. And after taking in the All-Star festivities, it's been quite a recovery after some long nights to start this week. My friend, how have you been holding up so far? Good, man. The uh, The honeymoon period is starting to come to an end because uh, now i got to get back to reality and going back to doing work and applying myself rather than just absorbing baseball and atmosphere the entire time. So physically... You know, I'm 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 lagging a little bit, but emotionally, I'm still I'm still in that that baseball bliss that they provided for a couple of days down at uh, 20th and Blake. It was, it was awesome. It was just incredible to see the city of Denver really take on just an entire baseball attitude, unlike anything I had ever seen before. I know that for certain. I didn't have the privilege of going back in 1998. Because I was a wee little man that probably didn't remember a whole lot about it, anyways. But seeing this, you know, it's just. That truly was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, at least when, I, mean, I suppose if you look at once every 30 years, that's something that everything really gets to come together, but you never know what the future's going to hold. You never know what it might potentially be to be able to get there, and you never know when the MLB draft is going to make its way to Denver as well. Um, I think I was in the background of a few draft picks at McGregor Square on Monday as they had the cameras going right there, so I thought that was, yeah, I'm standing there. <laughs> I'm right behind the podium right there as they're making the picks at McGregor Square just like chomping at the bit yeah right <laughs> no I thought that was very cool just to be able to see the different stages that they had configured all of the video cameras that they had even just at McGregor Square as people are walking in the background and you see all this draft coverage going on just it's something unlike anything the city of Denver or the state of Colorado had ever seen before and just it really hit close to home especially as a Rockies fan when you realize that this truly is the next face of who we are probably going to see in these all-star festivities on the field at some point in time. So very cool business. It was just another year of, I guess, any year that you're going to have interesting picks throughout the entire ranks. We're going to start at the draft board. This whole podcast, the goal of what we're trying to cover today is just talking about a huge MLB draft recap, talking about all of the selections that the Rockies have pursued the Rockies held the 8th overall pick in the 2021 draft, and they pursued a high school outfielder, just as they did with Zach Veen in 2020. So, without further ado, issuing out the newest in our Purple Pebbles here on the Pebble Report, welcome to Pennsylvania's own Benny Montgomery, Benny the Jet. 
an outfielder from Redland High School. Um, welcome to the Colorado Rockies family, first of all, and for our listeners, welcome to the portion of the show where we'll discuss what this young man could be up against in the early workings of his career. Once again, he was the eighth overall selection, right-handed bat, high school senior, born in the year 2002. For those of you guys that were born in the 1990s, just like myself, that's kind of a kind of an eye-opening thing every time you take a look at the birthdays of some of these guys, but a lot going on for this. <laughs> My apologies. To any, yeah, no kidding. Here it is. I think I'm the old man over here. Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> Kenneth, I will turn this over to you. As far as your initial reactions when Colorado went after yet another first-round outfielder out of high school, sure, there's three positions in the big league outfield that are available for the taking. There seems to be a, at least an availability for some degree of depth right here. Were you surprised that the high school outfielder option was pursued yet again? Would you have possibly preferred to see somebody else in that selection? Or what was your kind of ulterior point of what you took out of this one? I mean, well, I think the best place to start is just what the Rockies did do, which was go with Montgomery. And I think that they followed a pretty familiar template um, with the high school outfielder route. This reminds me a lot of kind of like a David Dahl selection where they're very confident in their ability to develop hitters um, within their minor league system. So I think that Montgomery has the highest risk and highest reward of almost anybody in the first rounds, you know, definitely within the top 10, 15 picks. Um, so it's a bit of a risky gamble, but it could have you know, maybe the highest star potential for any position player in the draft. So it's not unfamiliar territory for how the way the Rockies operate. I think if we want to talk about what could have been, that conversation starts with Kumar. And I think we'll dig, you know, that we'll scratch that itch here in just a second. But to focus on Montgomery specifically, it's very loud tools all the way across. I think that he has the premier athleticism to be a pretty sure bit, uh, excuse me, a pretty sure bet to stick up the middle and be a future center fielder. Um, incredible speed, incredible arm strength, a lot of in-game power that showed up, but there's also kind of a hitch, kind of some funkiness with the swing, and I think that that was the big reluctance on putting him in a top 10, top 5 projection on most mock systems. So... The hit tool is the big question mark, and that's, you know, the biggest thing, because if you can't hit, you're not going to make it to the major leagues, no matter how great of a uh, defensive player or base runner you can be. So um, that's the risk of it all. But if they are able to iron out some of the wrinkles in that hitch, get a better bat plane to the baseball and really develop him as a pure hitter, he's shown that he can keep up with, you know, high-level pitching in some of those perfect game showcases. So the talent's there, the ability is there, but it needs to be molded into a more consistent product at the plate. And if he can do that, it's going to make a lot of sense. If it doesn't translate when he's within the system, that's the risk. And, you know, doing it with the eighth overall pick, with the current state of the Rockies right now, it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to see us go. But that's not to say Benny can't succeed or won't succeed. You know, that's just, that's the way that the draft works. We're always looking three, four, five years from now. So we're going to see when that time comes. But high risk, high reward, kind of a boom or bust with it. And hopefully it's the the boom and the high reward. 
um, that, that comes out of this pick. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head right there, and it's interesting to follow along, especially when you see how long it might take players to mature. It's real easy to look at when we went out and got Zach Veen last year and started to kind of process as far as doubling up on high school outfielders in the first round. It could be kind of, I guess, if you want to look at it as somewhat of a red flag going, why aren't we mixing around? Why aren't we spreading? Why aren't we kind of just spreading the wealth and allocating our resources a little bit? But you also never really know how long it's going to take some of these guys to develop just because they're, I mean, even if they're in the same draft year, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to mature as quickly as others or develop through their ranks as quickly as others. So I think at least a justifiable way of looking at this, and this is what I've kind of found comfort in. I personally would have liked to see the Rockies pursue a starting pitcher just as far as to see the successes that they had with John Gray and with Kyle Freeland and realizing that the immediate long term of the organization after Ryan Rollison, as far as the higher projections in just the MLB rankings for lack of a better system, well, that's a pretty good system, not lack of one, but just seeing that there isn't a whole lot of Rockies pitchers that are necessarily on that list after Ryan Rollison, at least in comparison of some of the more established organizations with pitching. It's something that I wish the Rockies may have kind of bolstered it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, we really don't know, especially when you're taking a chance on an 18-year-old like this. There could be a huge developmental progression that comes through on this, and something that I think can kind of be forgotten. The Rockies had contact with Montgomery before the draft and I believe they even put him in contact with people in Georgia the Pennsylvania kid heading down there to work out that hitch that you were talking about and as far as them being able to take a look and see how he was able to at least progress even before the draft I think that had the Rockies kind of licking their chops going if this is the adjustments that this kid can make outside of the organization what are we going to be able to do to progress him within the organization so yes you are kind of taking a chance whenever you're looking at a high school kid but at the same time, seeing the interruptions that have gone on across the world, I mean, his junior year of high school was cut down because of COVID. All of a sudden, he he resurges in his senior year. I realize when you're probably the best player in your area, that's not necessarily a huge adjustment compared to some other guys. But the huge adjustments that we did see was what he was able to progress with developing after his senior season was over at that point. And I think that speaks really well as far as what his future ceiling could be. I don't know if we can necessarily justify or talk down on the pick at this point just because there really is so little for what we're looking for, but presumable that we'll see that kid in Fresno, in low A, to get started out. It's going to be fun to at least follow along and especially fun to see. You know, There's a chance that him and Zach Veen could very well be sharing the same outfield, and those people in Fresno are in for at least quite a treat when you start realizing that there could be two first-rounders out there in that outfield. Yeah, a lot of a lot of things to look forward to, and I do believe that there's a lot to dream on with Veen and uh, Montgomery being kind of the future middle of the lineup, you know, the anchors really of the position player side for the Rockies. I think it's really interesting to me to see just the two contrasting styles between the two because Veen has a very pretty swing that was very evident from the get go, and I think that's what got a you know a lot of traction for him heading into his draft year last season, while Montgomery is a little bit more of, you see the potential in the athleticism, and if the bat path can get figured out a little bit more, then it could all click the same way, where Bean was kind of rounding out the skills around that pretty swing that he already has in place. So um, two different ways to hopefully get to the same result, I think is kind of the plan. 
um, with these guys. But again, if it all works out, I mean, now you're looking at a future core riding right along, uh, right alongside each other. And when you see, you know, like the way things are going in Toronto right now, that's kind of the way that we're trying to go is all the talent <laughs> arrives at the same time. And when you have a Montgomery, a Veen, a Romo, maybe a Tovar, that could be that same way for the Rockies. I mean, that's what we're dreaming on right now. Sure, that's very funny you point that out, what the Blue Jays are doing. And especially, ideally, when you have a crop of players that can hopefully progress into the big leagues right around the same time. I know the Detroit Tigers kind of saw that a little bit with their pitching rotation. You mentioned as far as what that crop could be. Also, the Rockies... 19 of their 20 draft picks this year were also college players. So your early draftees, makes sense that that's kind of the established ones that you're really hoping are going to have longer big league careers. There might be a chance of just organizational depth. What are our needs from rounds 10 through 20? And maybe it's going to pan out, that kind of thing. Did you Were you surprised to see that the college route was pursued as heavily as it was after the first round? Or... Do you think that might be potentially a byproduct of just the status of where the Rockies front office is right now? I think, you know, I'm surprised that it was as overwhelming college as it was. Um, I figured it would probably be heavier on the college side to begin with, um, because we've mentioned this on a couple of occasions, but no 2020 wiped out a lot of spotlight on what you're able to you know, see from these amateur ranks and especially on the high school side. So there might not be that familiarity with a lot of those high school guys. You didn't feel safe enough making the pick with it. Did I think it was going to be Montgomery as the only high school guy? No. You know, that's <laughs> that that was a little different. But it was weird, you know, for, for a lot of different teams. The Angels didn't even draft a hitter at all. So no you know, the, the fact that the Rockies <laughs> went completely college, it's, it's odd. But, I mean, they probably just had more confidence in the guys that they already have a book on from their amateur days in high school and a couple of years in college. So that makes sense to me at the very least. Sure. I thought it was actually pretty honorable to see that the Rockies were pursuing this as far as last year with Veen and with Drew Romo, the two high schoolers that they picked before the second round even began. I thought that it was cool to see that they're putting a lot of stock into the long game of if we really can hit. I honestly, if you can strike gold with even one of those three players, that's Certainly you want all three to pan out like that. Maybe it might take somebody a little bit of time to progress, even if it's just kind of a platoon type of thing. Maybe somebody's going to develop to be the next big-time thing, which would ideally be the good thing. As far as whoever else in the first round could be a big-time thing, um, I kind of am haunted as far as thinking through going flashbacks of the 2006 draft when the Rockies went out and go get Greg Reynolds, and then we come to find out that there's a bunch of Hall of Famers that were selected after the second overall pick that year. We, of course, these names not, haven't established themselves quite like the Clayton Kershaws or the Max Scherzers of 2006, of course. But looking around and seeing at least how some names particularly dropped, and you mentioned that we were going to get into the Kumar Rocker story. I kind of want to get into my perspective on this. I happened to be at the Futures game. I saw a little bit of the celebrity softball game. I was walking back to the RTD light rail station right after the Orioles took Colton Kowser with the fifth overall pick. And I noticed that Kumar Rocker was still available on the board. I was probably a lot more animated and excited than most people on the 16th Street Mall at that point in time. The Diamondbacks go through, they pick up Jordan Lawler, the shortstop out of Texas High School. All of a sudden, I'm going, Kansas City is really going to be the deciding factor on whether or not Kumar Rocker is coming to Denver. Now, how mistaken I could have been. They take a high school pitcher. 
I start getting very probably unjustifiably excited in the grand scheme of things, and I reflect on it kind of just thinking I was being childish out of reaction. Find out that Benny Montgomery's taken, and all of a sudden I'm thinking there's something going on, and come to find out Kumar Rocker is represented by Scott Boris. So he drops to pick number 10. I'm sure there was, I mean, for those that may not necessarily be as familiar with the MLB draft, you don't necessarily need to declare for the draft. If you have leverage, if you have remaining high school or remaining college eligibility, you have the option to go back to college, even if you are drafted, as opposed to what the NBA does. So Scott Boris knows this. Scott Boris says, here's our asking price. I want him to go here, here, or here. That was kind of an eye-opening moment to me, and it made me a lot more excited when we did actually go out and get Benny Montgomery, realizing that maybe we are kind of playing the long game on this, and there's a lot more under this than what we really know. There are so many behind-the-scenes, under-the-surface discussions, and sure, it might be easy to look at the Rockies and go, out of the nine teams that picked at the top of the draft, we were one of those nine that passed on Kumar Rocker. Well, we didn't really, I, I don't think we really passed on him. I think it was kind of, he was already outpriced at this, and you're able to really manipulate your asking price when it comes to first rounders. So were you impressed to see at least maybe the negotiation skills of what Scott Boris was able to pull off? Or as far as whatever behind the scenes kind of thing was going on on this, because there's so many different ways that you could really take this story. Were you surprised to see this, or was this the kind of thing that, the MLB draft is really molding itself into in this current day and age. I think that this is a very good representation of the way the draft is now and is going to continue to be where, you know, it, it, in its basic structure, it's the worst teams get the highest picks so they can add talent to become competitive sooner. But you don't select based off of the talent alone. More and more often, you're ending up selecting players based off of their price tag so you have more money in the piggy bank to sign maybe higher valued item or players later on so um i mean first of all it's it's basically a, a big old coup with kumar going to the mets um he signed i think for six million and the slot value was around four and three quarters so you know he's he was demanding a fair price for his services, and honestly, I think out of the top 10 picks, four of them were refusing to take Kumar simply for the price alone, not the talent. I don't think all things were equal with Kumar, um, and teams just shied away from paying him X amount of dollars more than they wanted to spend on that pick selection. So I think that that is where the trend has already been. And I think that this is a great indication of just how much further into the first round it will continue to go. Because Kumar, I mean, there's an easy case that could be made that he was easily a top three pick selection on talent alone. And to see him slide to 10 obviously shows some, um, I don't want to say wrongdoings in the system, but just the, the sure, mode sure. of operation um, is very, very financially driven. So... You, you like Montgomery, um, you have your opinion on him and where he fits with the Rockies overall, but to be able to see Kumar, especially the Rockies have taken him once before. You know, they took him, I believe it was 2017, that's right, that's right, so they right, had sir. been on him before. Obviously, the talent is there with him. Um, there's a major starting pitcher profile in him, too, so there's not nearly the reliever risk or 
some of the other, you know, big red flags that you might have with some other pitchers on the board, he was a really good fit. And the fact that they simply just looked at the price, I believe, and said, we have a bigger plan for the next 19 rounds, and this is going to throw it all out the window. I don't love that rationale um, for for drafting eighth overall. I think when you have a chance to hit a home run, you know, if you get the 3-0 count, and you get the fastball right down the middle, and you choose not to swing, and you're already deciding <laughs> not to swing, that's kind of what the Rockies did here. So I don't love it. That's just the world that we live in, though. Um, so it would have been nice. would have been cool to see Kumar. You know, we would have had a nice little fan section. We would have had to think of, uh, you know, rockers, rook, or, I don't know, rookie rockers, Rockies, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the fan section wants to call themselves in left field. That's what we can dream on for now on, but it's not a reality, so. Sure, and I'll be the first to admit this. I was checking out MLBShop.com, getting ready to put together a custom Kumar Rocker number 80 jersey, but, you know, we had to put the cancel on that pretty quickly. But anyways, it's just, there are all sorts of unknowns that come out of any draft pick, of course, and it will likely take a while for, I mean, all of these guys to really reach the big leagues if they stay on course. Some of these guys haven't even turned 21 yet, and all of a sudden we're throwing over $4 million at these guys, which, you know, good for them. Congratulations, first and foremost. That is awesome. But it's, it's truly just, yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing that I did want to hit on, as far as the projections and kind of the preliminary draft discussion on where people were going to fall in was Brady House, the shortstop out of Georgia, high schooler. He was kind of projected right around that eighth overall pick, and I know some media outlets had the Rockies going after him. Were you surprised that, first of all, he dropped down to number 11 to the Nationals, so a couple picks after the Rockies picked at number 8. Were you surprised? I realize it's easy to point the finger of going, we went Zach V in high school outfielder last year, and now we doubled up on it. Would you have... I want to word this politely. Would you have preferred a shortstop, a high school shortstop over a high school outfielder at pick number eight? Or is that something that do you really think in the long run it matters? Is it all just kind of about the projectability of what their bat is able to do? I think it's the latter. I definitely think that it's just who do you think is going to be the better big league player, regardless of position. Um, when you talk about these high school guys, there also becomes a big question of signability. And I think that the same conversation that we had with the price tag on Rocker, I, I consider House to probably be in that same group a little bit where it was going to take uh, more than the Rockies were willing to pay probably to get him to commit to signing. I think that that probably factored a little bit more and Montgomery was more likely to sign. Um, so that's probably the reason for the slip a little bit. But also, you know, House wasn't terrific this spring. Um, his high school season, you know, wasn't stellar. So he dropped from that top three, top five at the beginning of mock draft season to end of the top 10, um, ultimately 11 to the Nationals. So, you know, it's it's a coin flip on who's going to be better right now between Montgomery and House. I don't know. You know, I think heading into it, House's bat is a little bit more of a sure thing, the same way that Dean was, than I think Montgomery was. But Montgomery's athleticism kind of outclassed everybody else in the high school position player ranks. So there's pros and cons to each. I'm, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and say that the Rockies liked Montgomery better than House, but I also wouldn't be surprised at all if it was it's going to cost more to get House to sign rather than go to college 
than was the case with Montgomery. So maybe that was the all things being equal. We know we can get Montgomery. We're not sure about House. I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the uh, decision-making there, too. That is certainly a viable way to look at it, too. And I, I think you definitely talking about Brady House's final season in high school. Maybe his momentum slowed a little bit. When the Rockies went out and got Benny Montgomery, it sounds like he's certainly on the upswing of where his momentum is at especially if the Rockies are going out and getting him, realizing that this is probably the guy that they were really circling and hoping to really land. So I think that's cool to look at somebody with a little bit of momentum going on their side, especially out of high school. And meanwhile, we are going to take a short break, but we're going to talk about a second round selection that doesn't necessarily have that momentum going for him. However, he had a lot of initial momentum going when you looked at how high he was projected to go on the draft board. We're going to talk about the Rockies' second-round selection in the draft. Pitcher out of LSU, Jaden Hill. We'll cover all kinds of cool stuff. I'm very excited about this pick personally, so we're going to have to make sure this is a very short commercial break so we can get back to it. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Listen to the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program, and we'd like to issue another warm pebble report welcome to right-handed pitcher Jaden Hill out of LSU. He was taken with the 44th overall selection in the draft and had previously worked his way into some top 10 draft projections. That's not 10 rounds, that's like top 10 overall picks. Top 10 draft projections before his 2021 stats took a sharp turn. Some interesting details on Jaden Hill. He's currently three months removed from Tommy John surgery. And we won't see him until at least next spring. There's all sorts of ways to interpret this one. And I feel pretty excited about it because Kenneth and I were actually hanging out at Union Station in Denver prior to the Derby when this pick was announced. So I already know a little bit about your initial reaction. I think I was actually the one that broke the news to you, believe it or not. And I remember I was putting the article together on Purple Row covering how Jaden Hill just was selected. We put a little 250-word recap together. Um, my phone battery during the Derby took a drastic hit because I put this article together, but I still got some pretty cool photos during the Derby. So shout out to Jaden Hill for giving me 10% of battery left on my phone for me to take cool videos during the home run Derby. Little known fact that nobody really needed to know, but you know what? I'm still very excited about the all-star game personally. It matters to you, so it matters to me. Don't diminish so yourself. That's the, yeah, I mean, the funny thing, too, as soon as Jaden Hill keeps climbing through the ring, because every time I think about it, I'm going to think about how excited Kenneth was hanging out at Union Station with his draft game together. So anyways, fill us in on what you like about the guy. I know that you're already pretty excited about it. I'm certainly excited about it, one, because I think this is a very interesting pick that has plenty of upside, and two, because you were as excited about it as you were. So go ahead, I'll, I'll open the floor to you. Take care of this one right here. Uh, it wasn't just you also. I mean, we had a lot of the Purple Row staff, and even your dad was there. So as soon as you... That's right. I didn't even get to see that it was Jaden Hill selected. I heard it while you guys were talking about it, and then all of a sudden I turned into an 8-year-old on Christmas morning. <laughs> I'm sure Dave Wick was looking at me like, what is going on with this guy right now? He was loving it. He was sold. He loved the enthusiasm. <laughs> Papa Wick. Um, but no, so... A lot of the reluctance that I had maybe on the Benny Montgomery pick I feel like was made up for a little bit with Jaden Hill because there is such upside with this pick that it was something that I hoped for but did not expect from the Rockies. And to see them go this route with it is exactly what I had in mind and is what got me so excited. Um, 
heading into this draft, heading into the mock draft season, Jaden Hill was really mentioned in the same conversation with Kumar and Jack Leiter. That's how well regarded this guy was at LSU. He hasn't pitched a ton. I mean, injuries and, and just the health of the arm have been a concern for him. He had a UCL strain in 2020 that basically shut him down. He did a little bit of work out of the bullpen, but ultimately they shut him down because they were looking for him for 2021. And then that UCL snapped and that cut his season short. But the reason why he was so well regarded is there's this big 6'5", I think he's about 240 frame. So he's in the same mold physically as a Kumar rocker. He's pumping high 90s. He's got a wipeout slider and he at least has that average to above average, you know, to, to, to that possibly plus changeup. So there's good command. There's great size and release point. There's heavy gas coming out of him. And there's the possibility for third for three pitches. He hasn't had the time on the field to really show that he is a for sure starting pitcher. But he does have in his back pocket a great reliever profile with a little bit of relief experience at LSU as well. So I feel like as long as he can stay healthy and be able to pitch, there's a strong, strong possibility that at worst case scenario, we have a late inning reliever that could be, you know, that all-star type mold guy because he's throwing two pitches that are, you know, practically untouchable and he's doing it from such a high release point or such a close release point to the plate that it gets on a hitter that much faster. So there's a lot of things to like in this profile. There's the question marks about the arm health, but you know what? Walker Bueller was coming off of Tommy's Darn surgery when the Dodgers drafted him, and look at how that's gone. So this isn't necessarily uncharted waters for baseball teams. He slid a possible top 10 talent, as you mentioned, to get him into the second round, and maybe some of that money that they saved with taking Montgomery over somebody like House or definitely Kumar, they're now, they're now able to invest in Jaden Hill. So possibly two top 15 talents out of the same draft really balances it out and is something that I really like out of uh, the Rocky selection right here. That's, I mean, you said it better than I could have, and I think that it's very fascinating to see, especially the bad luck that he's handled. He was sidelined as a freshman his first year at LSU. He had a UCL sprain, so he only threw 10 innings as a freshman. He was, of course, sidelined with everybody because of COVID in his sophomore year of 2020. Picked up 11 and two-thirds innings that year, and then a UCL tear cut him short after seven starts at LSU. So still, I mean, a decent body of work that he was able to put together in 2021, but I think that it's really captivating to see how he has really handled all of these different setbacks for what was going on. See what he did in 2019 before that UCL sprain, posted a 1.8 ERA over 10 innings. Pretty solid body of work right there. Um, collected 11 strikeouts in 10 innings, and mind you, you know, this is... Sure, that was probably against early season college opponents, but he's got enough of a body of work that he saw SEC teams, which, I mean, that could very well just be a minor league team in, to begin with, being the high, the best conference that there is in college. Um, seeing how he handled the interruptions to that UCL sprain, he came back in 2020 out of the bullpen, like you mentioned, threw almost 12 innings and did not give up a run. Struck out 17 guys in 11 and two-thirds innings, so a little bit more representative of possibly what you would see out of a closer. He did pick up two saves that year. And I thought that it was very cool to see his strikeouts jump in that capacity, suggesting that this is a very multifaceted pick that the Rockies could really go in many directions with. 
So fast forward later on, COVID takes it away, which, you know, the UCL sprain keeps them sidelined and you follow it up with the toughest luck imaginable, which is a canceled season. And then going into his final year at LSU, of course, the UCL tear came together. His ERA skyrocketed, which, I mean, there is no really avoiding that. 6.67 ERA in 29 and two-thirds innings. You start realizing this is the this is the reason he was available in the second round. So whether or not the Rockies want to look at this going, yeah, but we're taking a gamble. Well, he wouldn't have been available if he had any worse of his year, if he had any better of a season that year. So seeing this, I'm just thinking as far as, you know, Kenneth, you are you and I have a fair share of scars on our throwing arms just to be able to speak on behalf of this, but I, I mean, I not that I'm trying to flex my own might with this, but I mean, coming back from Tommy John surgery, it's very gratifying to know that it is as proven of a surgery as it is. You talk about what the Dodgers did with Walker Bueller. Is this the kind of thing that, you know, he proved that he could handle a return from a UCL sprain? And all of a sudden, the only thing that really, the only setback that his stats really suggest that he took a back seat was COVID, because he wasn't really able to compete the way that he wanted to. And you know, I don't mean to get into player emotion too much on this necessarily because I realize that isn't much of an analysis, but as far as coming back from Tommy John, he's already proven himself in the SEC. Do you feel like kind of the similar momentum of what the Rockies may have seen out of Benny Montgomery? Is this the guy that is probably more on the come up despite being draft stock plummeting? Is this something that, you know, is there any way to think of this going, you know, you have Tommy John and there's actually good momentum coming out of this selection? I think it allows 2021 to be kind of a wash because it was very high expectations for him heading into this year to be an anchor of an LSU staff. Um, Coming off of a UCL sprain, coming off of a lost season, basically, I don't think he was able to build the momentum um, that was expected of him. So I think that this actually allows a better reset for him, Um, a bit better of a clean slate that, I think is going to be more beneficial for his development. I think it's a little different in the, than Montgomery because Montgomery rose, rose, rose during 2021. Hill had a little bit maybe unrealistic expectations, you know, with a 1-1 talk heading into the season with him. Um, and I think he's now, assuming the recovery goes the way that, um, you know, you hope it does as, you know, um, someone who has Tommy John surgery, he can just go out and pitch now without the expectations of having to be the top overall selection, the anchor of a staff, the future ace, all the things that we talked about with like Riley Pine years and years ago. There's a lot that you have to live up to with that. Now with Jaden Hill sliding a little bit, I think that this allows him to just start fresh, pitch his game. He's probably going to go, he might go to Fresno, but there's a good chance he'll go to Spokane just having pitched in the SEC for the past couple of years. Once he, uh, you know, finishes his rehab and is able to get in games again. And I think that he could just hit the ground running very easily because there's a good development path going through LSU, which is no slouch in developing very, <laughs> really good pitchers, by the way. Um, so there's good foundation in place for the player that he already is. Now he can take back or he can, you know, just take a step back, breathe a little bit, go out and play. And I think he could be a fast riser for those reasons. So. You know, the, the, the path is paved for him. It's just he's got to get healthy and he's got to start throwing again. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we start seeing him in the conversation by the end of 2022 of somebody that could be with the Rockies in 23. I think he's that good. 
I think that's definitely something to get the people excited about right there. Here it is. I was hoping that the Rockies were going to really land a big-time starting pitcher that could definitely progress through the system. Um, that was, I mean, I'm very biased toward that being the pitching guy myself, as I identify anyways. I was hoping to see something like that come together in the first round just because we hadn't done it last year. But, you know, this could very well be, when we look back on this five to ten years down the road, this could be the lightning in a bottle draft between we got a high school outfielder and we've got a very perhaps kind of questionable draft stock in the second round. But if Jaden Hill really skyrockets to do what he initially had been projected to do, you know, his pitch mix is there. Fortunately, Tommy John surgery is a very proven procedure that it could be. I mean, it might take a little while to work out the kinks. That's what the minor league system is for at that. Um, the one thing I don't like about this pick is that I selfishly don't get to watch him for another like year at this point. So is that something, I mean, talk about the interruptions that are going on. We say the canceled season and the UCL sprain and of course the tear. Is this big of a layoff, the kind of thing that, I mean, he's going to come back likely with very similar stuff to what he has just because this is a very good procedure that was performed and very proven and that kind of thing. But as far as interruption is concerned, at least body of work, do you think that when he comes back, I can't imagine the Rockies are just going to throw him to the wolves. It's going to be very at least particular for this first year. But as far as long-term outlook, do you think there's ever going to be a point in time where the Rockies really just let him loose? I can only imagine he's probably chomping at the bit to get a big collection of work under his belt. How long do you think it might be until we really see the Rockies just throw him out to the wolves and give him the body of work that he's probably looking for? Um, well, I think in the big picture, you have to give him the longest rope you can as a starting pitcher during his development. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all in 2022 if he's kind of in a bullpen role, maybe starts getting that, that larger volume. But they're going to take it easy on his innings once he does actually get back into game action, which you think will be you know, middle of the summer in 2022 at the earliest, sure. probably. So, sure. um it's going to take some time, and when you look at somebody, I think it's Kilkenny, who is still kind of in a velocity dip right now in the Rocky system, recovering from Tommy John. They're just starting to ramp up his workload, um, and we're kind of a couple years in. Now, 2020 didn't help anything in his uh, case, but it could be a similar trajectory for Hill on the way that they handle him. I think... 2023 will probably be that big starting pitching push of, all right, let's really kind of let him go. Let's see how he holds up over a full season or, you know, how far he gets into a full season in a starter capacity. And that will probably be the most telling on what his role is going to be in the future. Because if he, you know, can't hold up during that, now we're looking at 19 and 21 and now 23 of being, you know, lost years, so to speak, um, because of how he physically handles it. So you got to give him the fullest shot that you can as a starting pitching prospect. I think that 22 is going to ease him in. 23 is going to be that big full ride. And then you see what you got at that time. You know, that's, that's what I envision um, the path will be for Hill. That sounds about spot on, honestly. And I mean, the reason I bring that up, talking about the way the Rockies have pursued first-round high schoolers, it seems like they might necessarily be playing the long game as far as what their top selections have been over the course of what we've really been looking at. We might see Chris McMahon and Sam Weatherly really take to their own. We might see Carl Kaufman take to his own in that similar right. 
So there's still a lot to be looking forward to. It seems like it might take a little bit of time, but honestly, that doesn't diminish the excitement that's coming out of a pick like that. And I think I speak on behalf of the entire Purple Row crew. This is somebody that we are certainly hopeful is going to be taking up a lot of article space here in the future as we continue to progress through, seeing how these guys develop and seeing what they take over. Yeah, and you mentioned Sam Weatherly on there just before we wrap it up. Um, obviously, Montgomery and Hill are the big takeaways from the draft, uh, but Joe Rock and McCade Brown, the uh, collective bargaining B, which, by the way, the naming on these draft rounds <laughs> is stupid because you have like 1, 1A, one 1CA, one 2, 2A, and 3A or whatever. As if it wasn't confusing yeah. enough. Here so Rock's, <laughs> Rock was somewhere in between the second and third rounds. but So Rock and McCade Brown are also... Um, these kind of, you know, really dynamic um, arms that, you know, may be all over the place. They may end up really refining it and having um, really high octane stuff. Rock from the left side, brown from the right side. There could be some exciting things that come out of those two picks as well. Also, the name Joe Rock is pretty solid. There you go. Yeah, no kidding. Talk about a Rockies guy all the mm -hmm. way through. I think that that just alone has a lot of incentive. Yep. And I think a cool way of looking at this, I'm actually glad you took a minute to cover those guys. Joe Rock pitching in the Mid-American Conference at Ohio University. He's used to being the guy, mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm not trying to talk poorly on mid-major on mid -major conferences. I mean, I'm a product of one of them myself for that matter. <laughs> But when you see somebody taken that high out of a school like that, this is somebody that's really probably prepared to really take over the reins and certainly prove himself throughout. If he's able to carry the same mentality of what he had in college into the professional ranks, I think that there's a lot of excitement to make out of that. And not to mention McCade Brown doing it what he did into the Big Ten. I think that it's very fun to follow along the mentalities of this. And these guys certainly seem prepared to transition into professional ball pretty quickly. So... For those of you guys currently hanging out in Fresno and Spokane, those are two guys. I mean, you get to you get to watch a guy named Joe Rock first and foremost. But that, I mean, that's that's worth something pretty cool, anyways. Some but movie stars. Nonetheless, there you go. And then if we're patient a little bit, Jaden Hill will be right behind him when he comes back from Tommy John surgery. And for those of you big fans of the pitching side of the minor league ranks, it seems like right after that first round, the Rockies definitely made a push to pull that together. It's going to be very fun to follow along the development of these young men as they carry through all of the professional ranks of the Colorado Rockies. Um, we're going to close this thing out. We'll outline the road ahead for each level of the organization, and we're going to pick our go-to players that we're thinking are going to break out here over the next few days. Thanks again for tuning in, and don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Purple Row Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pebble Report Podcast, and welcome to the section of the show where we have a blast discussing minor league team names on the future slate of the Rockies affiliates. We're also going to talk about key performers and win-loss records, but this segment has gradually established itself as one where you never know what the conversation is going to turn into. You never know what crazy topics are going to come out of a matchup like the Yard Goats and the Sea Dogs, for example. Um, we also have some teams that are also called the Rockies, if I'm not mistaken, down there in the Dominican Summer League and in the Arizona League. We're getting this thing kick-started again, and we've got all kinds of different names that are running through the list. So for those of you hanging out in Fresno right now, there might be a different pipeline other than just the MLB draft itself that's bringing in 
couple of youngsters from the international from the international ranks coming in through Spokane, coming in through Fresno, and we've got more baseball. How about it? Yeah, it's exciting because this is the first time that the Rockies are going to have uh, a complex league team. It used to be the AZL, and now it's abbreviated to the ACL, which is awful because it makes everybody think of knees. Um, but this was <laughs> so. This was kind of a, a hole in the development system for the Rockies, and this is a good place for a true test of talent before they really get into that organized full season ball. Um, so with the reshuffling of minor league baseball, this is kind of a byproduct because you still have the four levels with the Rockies. But now this is that short season ball. This is that rookie ball. These are where the next wave of talent that's going to be hitting the low A ranks, which we already see what's on the horizon with the Rockies in the low A right now, this is their ground floor before they get to Fresno. So um, six teenagers in the complex league right now. Um, there are about 10 games in each, both the complex and the uh, Dominican league right now. So um, we'll be giving them more updates as their season gets a little bit more in depth, but at least be aware of kind of, you know, that this is part of the Rockies farm system too. Even if it's not the organized professional minor league ranks, uh, this is this is part of the equation. So cool that they're starting up. I do want to give a big tip of the cap, first of all, for our entire commenters over on Purple Row that are putting together a lot of cool topics for us. It's pretty awesome to see that we have such a devout community that's really willing to carry on this minor league conversation. want to give a tip of the cap to our... One of our lead commenters that goes by the name Ozark Bear, the absolute Ozark. legend, my man. Just want to say, you know, seriously, thank you for at least, I mean, certainly initiating the conversation on this Arizona Complex League rank, and it's pretty awesome to have some people that are really interested in this kind of thing. And it's pretty Sage awesome as to get, well. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Sage is doing a hell of a job down there. Yep. And seriously, you know, please know that those comments are, like, seriously appreciated. You guys are doing a tremendous job with that, and it helps us be motivated to do what we do. It's pretty awesome to realize that you guys are tuning into this and really making this podcast what it is. So We're not anyways, just talking we'll, into the void. Yeah, no kidding. You guys are completely making it justifiable for us, man. I love it. Um, we'll go ahead and follow our normal configuration for the four existing affiliates that are rolling through it. We'll go ahead and start all the way at the top in AAA Albuquerque. We've got a little bit of a winning streak going on with the Isotopes. They've won their last five games. They went 5-1 and one at the Round Rock Express down there in Texas. Um, this week, our recording date, we're actually recording Thursday, July 15th. So yesterday, Wednesday the 14th, was their league triple a wide off day um they start off against the sugarland skeeters which used to be an independent league team um they like the saint paul saints found their way into triple a so some pretty cool stuff and also if you're listening in albuquerque friday night there's a chance that you can secure tickets to go capitalize on quite the promotion the isotopes are handing out beer steins on friday night i don't know what they're gonna look like i mean an isotope beer stein but you know if you're feeling pretty ambitious, go ahead and check that one out. Have a chugging contest. How do you feel about the name, the Round Rock Round Rocks? I mean, that's that's like I'm I'm wondering, is there actually like a Round Rock there? Like, I mean, that's the thing. Is it a monument? Is that the go-to? Yeah, I mean, they could have done like a little just baseball and like a stone <laughs> formation, the Round Rock Round Rocks. There you go, man. I mean, they, they really dropped the ball. A stammer. But still. <laughs> they went with the express. They went with the train. Actually, maybe the train could carry the Round Rock. I don't know, man. Round Rock trains? Uh -huh. I don't know. I, I really took a hard turn. Goodness, that was a bad one. I apologize, everybody. 
I'm the one doubling up on words. You're fine. <laughs> we'll go ahead and go. There you, <laughs> there you go. This is going to be the somber moment. Everybody take off your caps for this one. Last week was dismal for the Hartford Yard Goats. They went 0-6 on the road against the Portland Sea Dogs. They were outscored 18-38, to and so far this series against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, they are 0-2, lost 5-11, to and they lost 5-10. to Um Let's just move on. How does that sound? <laughs> We're just going to carry on down the list. IA Spokane last week. They actually split the series against the Vancouver Canadians. It was a quote-unquote road series. It was actually played in Hillsborough, Oregon, as Vancouver's unable to cross the Canada border, just like the Blue Jays. This week, they made the short drive to Eugene, Oregon, as they take on the Eugene Emeralds. They are also 0-2 this week so far. Um, currently playing at a shared ballpark over there at the University of Oregon between the Emeralds and the Ducks. So pretty cool details going on right there. And fun to see that they at least were able to carry at least a three-game stretch of wins last week against Vancouver. So at least some degree of momentum going on there. And then carrying the on University down through. University of Oregon. That's right. I'm just saying, if you go to University of Oregon, just hit some balls into the lake. I think they got that right <laughs> behind Ryan Field. So. That's quite the setup, man. And you get that all year long. How about it? You man? get it like a mini McGovey Cove going on <laughs> over there. Meanwhile, going on down through low A Fresno, the dominant Fresno Grizzlies absolutely continuing their winning ways. Last week, they went 5-1 and one on the road against the San Jose Giants. Um, fun fact, from 1998 to 2014, the Grizzlies were actually the AAA affiliate of the Giants. So kind of an odd matchup as they took on the San Jose Giants. They were once beneath the Grizzlies in the organizational ladder. And times have changed, man. We got quite the shakeup, and now they're throwing down against each other. Um, this week, they are 2-0 and against the Stockton Ports out there in Stockton, California. They won 5-2 to on Tuesday night. They won 5 to nothing on Wednesday night. A little shutout action going on down there in low A. So that is our full rundown. Next week, they're going to actually take on the Modesto Nuts, so former Rockies affiliate going on right there. So all sorts of cool Rockies ties, interesting minor league configurations going on. But fortunately, it seems like everybody other than Hartford right now seems to be doing at least relatively well. So our deepest condolences to those checking this out out in Hartford. And we're hoping for a little bit of an upswing as you guys keep going through the ranks. And better weather. Hartford is getting rained out and lightened out and just like... (laughs) And there's, I don't know, I think God has it in for Hartford this season with record <laughs> and conditions. Like, it's just, it's, it's a rough stretch. The amount of the postponements when our Purple Row crew was putting together our little on-the-farm reports, everybody's talking about, what's up with this? All of a sudden, Hartford's the issue. It's normally like the West Coast teams that are all the late ones. Here it is, Hartford usually pumps out the box scores the earliest right here. Yeah, apparently they only play five innings now. That's what I mean. <laughs> just some wild business, wouldn't you know it? We'll keep carrying on down through the list as we normally do. We've got our breakout player to watch, our one player in the next week that could turn some heads or do something cool. Kenneth, I'll turn this over to you. Who's your guy for the week? I'm going to go with Grant Levine. Um, So he was the highest high school bat ever selected out of New Hampshire, I believe, when he was drafted a few years ago. So that's always been a cool feather in the cap for Levine. First base, you know, we we always dream on who can be the next Helton. And Levine was, uh, along with Toglia, has been... um, those guys in the system for the Rockies. But so far this season, he's kind of treaded water a little bit, but he's improved slightly from month to month. So his triple slash in May was 237, 363, 289. In June, he was 280, 391, 495. In July, he's been 317, 370, 488. So the slugging, the extra, or excuse me, the on base and the slugging 
you know, it's it's plateaued a little bit, um, but he's starting to get a little bit more knocks along the way. I think he's going to finish this month pretty strong um, just because he kind of keeps on rising month to month. You mentioned that Modesto is on the horizon for them coming up, and he had a pretty good series against Modesto the first time. When they played on the road, he had a 375, 483, 708 slash against Modesto, and I think it was a four-game set. Uh, he had nine total hits. Five of them were for extra bases. So kind of stuck it to the nuts, and this time he has them at home where he's hit four out of his five home runs on the season. He has an 844 OPS at home compared to 747 on the road, 105 at-bats at both. So he's better at home. He's already kicked the nuts' butts a little bit, and he's got them coming up. So I think I think Levine might break out. You know, we really dug deep into the minor league box scores. Seriously, if you're listening, <laughs> give a hand to my man Kenneth Weber right there. He's digging up opponent stats. He's going month by month. He's going full season body of work. It was um, all to build up to say nuts butts. That's <laughs> he knew That's what he all. was doing, man. A lot of a lot of advanced planning going on. I love it. So certainly Grant Levine, somebody to be able to check out right there. I'm going to mix it up a little bit, and I'm going to go with the guy that actually appeared in the big leagues for a select number of days this year. I'm going to go with Rio Ruiz out there in AAA Albuquerque. His slash on the year, 323, 387, 556. He was picked off waivers from Baltimore. He actually played 32 games with the Orioles. He was living under the Mendoza line, and he got DFA'd. But he's got a AAA OPS of 943 right now, and I feel like there has to be some reason the Rockies went out and got him. I don't know if it was just from strictly organizational depth standpoint, but you know if he keeps doing what he's doing, it might be undeniable to keep him where he is. So certainly somebody to kind of watch right there. I'm curious if this is going to kind of turn into a Joe Harvey situation where they inevitably call him up just to DFA the guy again, which I hope not just out of the sake of I can't imagine living with that first and foremost. But he's he's doing a lot of cool stuff down there and definitely somebody to monitor and definitely somebody that deserves a shout out, especially after all that he dealt with out in Baltimore. So that's what we got, Grant Levine, Rio Ruiz, and that is going to do it for our program. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the finest hour of Colorado Rockies minor league coverage right here on the Purple Row Pebble Report podcast. I want to say thank you to the whole SB Nation crew, and also I want to give a shout-out to our crew taking care of the Affected by Altitude podcast. Be sure you check out the good work of our own Evan Lang, Skylar Timmons, and Mac Wilcox. You can find their podcasts in the exact same spots that you found the Pebble Report. Um, all sorts of good content coming through on Purple Row as well over these next few days as we continue our ongoing stories on the All-Star Game and the MLB Draft. And, of course, the upcoming series with the Dodgers at Coors Field. Dave Roberts has got, like, quite the time. And, God, he's, what is that, like, eight straight days in Colorado or something like that? What are we working he's, with there? He's basically doing, like, that Olympic-level training where he's just working <laughs> at elevation. He's getting that cardio system working. This guy's going to be running marathons when he gets back to sea level. There you go. <laughs> Um, another tip of the cap, all of you guys that are participating in our comments sections on the Purple Row web, on the Purple Row website, excuse me, always fueling us with great minor league insights, helping create many of the topics that are discussed on this very show, and all kinds of cool stuff. It's just great to be a part of such a devout community that really cares about what this is going on, and you definitely motivate us to put our best together every single time we put this podcast together. So once again, on behalf of my co-host Kenneth Weber, my name is Justin Wick. Thanks again for tuning into the Pebble Report podcast. And let's play ball.